Hey everyone, on today's episode, I sit down with Tanja, who is a mama of eight children. She has seven adopted kids and one biological baby, which is a story in itself because she actually started her journey to foster and adopt after infertility issues and many failed attempts at trying to have her own baby. And uh, that wasn't in the cards for her then. And so she chose to foster and and ultimately adopt several kids. And then she was blessed with a bio baby. And even after she closed her house to future foster kids, she still ended up having one more child enter her home, which you'll hear more about that. So now she has eight children and you're going to hear just how much of a beautiful soul she is. She has great nuggets of wisdom for adoptive parents, for foster parents, how we can show up and help the system if we can't fix it. And then, you know, she shows people that don't have foster adopted kids just the amazing capacity for humans to choose to pour into children's lives and how much of a difference that can make. Hi, I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments Podcast, the show where we discuss all things related to the foster care system and early childhood trauma. From foster parents, trauma experts, former foster kids, and beyond, we'll take a deep dive into the complexities of the foster care crisis in an effort to better understand how to fix it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I know that I saw you share your story on YouTube and I thought that you would be a great story to share here on the podcast because you are a foster and adoptive mom of eight. Eight. Holy smokes. So (laughs) give us a little bit of your backstory. Where are you from? Uh, How did you meet your husband? How did you choose to get into the world of foster and adoption? Well, I'm from the good old Southern state of Mississippi. And me and my husband met probably eight, nine, nine years ago. Uh, We met through a church affiliate. Um, I was a youth director at our at my home congregation and his youth director basically set us up and we like it changed email we changed email contacts and we sent pictures and talked through email for a while and then after a couple months we decided to go out on a date and for a while things just did not hit off and i'm just like oh who's this crazy guy you know <laughs> he's like busy with everything else in life but then like, we end up probably six months to a year later we met back up and it, things, it was like it clicked from then. And it was like nonstop from then. We decided to be married. We didn't want to do like this long, drawn out wedding. So we went to the Justice of the Peace, uh, got married. And then a couple months later, his mother and his aunt did us a small reception. Well, I think we knew going into the, the game that we wanted children. We would always talk about children. I have always wanted a large family. He comes, he's the only child. So, <laughs> It, you know, even talking about it, he was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. I think I always wanted brothers and sisters growing up, so he could do the large family thing. And we decided we was going to try to have children. And we tried for a while, and nothing happened. And we ended up getting, like, testing and things like that. It went to a fertility specialist and had procedures done. And I was told that, basically, I had unexplained infertility. 
um, and they tried to correct what they could, but there was no correcting it. So they told me that my only op option was in vitro fertilization. So I'm like, can I reach into my back pocket and pick out $20,000? Let's get this show on the road, you know? Right. But, you know, who has $20,000 just sitting around? I don't. So, you know, we, you know, we started to just thinking about, you know, that there are other ways to have a family, to build a family. Mm. And we started to look into foster care. We looked into adoption. We looked into overseas adoption. And then we thought, uh, and we came across um, adoption from our own county, from our own area, because we were thinking that there are so many children who are right here in our back door who need homes, who need a stable environment. So if we're going to provide a home, why not? Why mm. not try it? So I made a phone call to a local uh, Department of Human Services, got put through to Child Protection uh, Services, and we started an over-the-phone application. And from there, um, a specialist called, came out and did a house visit. They did the home study. They checked everything. And we started classes immediately. We went through a couple months of classes. And after that, we were licensed to, uh, to be foster parents. So us, the ideal of fostering stemmed from infertility and from still wanting to have a family and wanting to provide a home for those children who need it. And that's how it started. That's awesome. So when you went into this, I know that you were, you just, as you just said, it's to start a family. Were, once you realized you were going to be a foster parent, did you know you wanted to foster to adopt only? Were you okay with being the gap uh, to, to return kids back to their families of origin? Right. Well, at the time, our state had had a dual licensing. So you could license, you could do foster care, you could do adoption, or you could do dual and do both. So we decided to be licensed for both. Um, I, I, don't, I think at the beginning, our mind was not on adoption, but we were also thinking through, we were going to go ahead and get licensed. Why not get licensed for both, just in case our mind changed later on down the road. Um, and we sure enough, we end up getting a, a call for our first, uh, first, set of foster children. Um, it happened, I wanna say about two weeks after we were licensed. We get a call and the lady says, we have a very young sibling set. At the time they were 11 months and 23 months old. Um, and they were two of a seven sibling set, but because of other circumstances, they were not placing them together. And, and they asked if we would be interested in fostering these children. So at the time, adoption was not on the board. It was, it was, we were still reunification. That was the process, it was reunification. So we was that, like you said, that in between for reunification. So I, I think that adoption was always in the back of my mind, but my goal was more important to be whatever that child needed me to be at the time. It's so beautiful. So tell me about that first visit them walking in your house and what that was all like i remember getting that phone call my husband was at work um and i called my, my aunt, the same aunt who's here with me now i called her i said auntie we have a set of children coming can you come over to the house like i'm like i don't know what i'm doing you know the house was set up of course sure and the at the time, the two children were placed into in two different homes. So they was trying to put them back together. Okay. So we had two different social workers who were showing up at two different times with two different children. 
So they came and they brought the um the 23 month old came first. And she was, oh my goodness, she was a beautiful little girl. And she just walked in and my heart dropped. My heart dropped because I looked at her and I saw trauma and I saw fear and I saw pain and I saw suffering. Mm -hmm. And then my heart knew that you have to do everything that's in your willpower to provide a home for this child, regardless of if it's two weeks or two years or 10 years, it doesn't matter, but it has to be my goal to help her break that fear, break that pain, break that cycle. And that was my goal. And so the first social worker came and my first emotion was, I don't know. I mean, it, it was, it was, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to cry, <laughs> but it was, it was, a, it was I, I didn't feel overwhelmed. I didn't feel uh, anxiety, but I just felt everything that that child showed on her face. Mm. And then uh, about an hour and a half later, a separate social worker came and brought the other sibling. And when she saw her brother, she because they had never really lived together, um, she was a 23-month-old. No 23-month-old wants to share her toys. And so she just, uh, she didn't know what to do. Um, but like I said, she, the young, the oldest one just had so much trauma and stuff going on that I immediately went into, I'm like the mama bear and like no one's going to go up near her. No one's going to do anything, let her have her way. If she want to climb to the Empire State Building, let that sister climb to the Empire State Building. You know, so that that's, I went into the, a protection mode as soon as those two children came into my home. And, uh, Prayerfully, thankfully, throughout this whole journey, that first sibling set that we fostered ended up being the first sibling set that we adopted. Oh, that's so great. And how how quickly did that happen after you first got them? I want to say two years. Oh, it may have been almost like a year and 10 months. So we, you know, even through the whole process, we were still doing weekly visits with siblings. We were still doing uh, visits with a uh, bio uh, mom who at that point her rights was not terminated. So we were still doing the whole process and we were still doing a very vigorous therapy schedule because I, I knew right off the bat that she needed to be in therapy. And so I saw, I went and immediately did that the next week. So we were going through a whole lot of rigorous stuff throughout the time frame. Uh, so it may have been like a year and 10 months. And then um, they were uh, free for adoption. Of course, they had already, during that time, the six-month time frame had passed. So, you know, once they were free, it just was a matter of getting the paperwork to the AG's office and getting approvals and getting it back and send a court date. And, you know, it was, it was about a year and 10 months. So did you keep your house open to other foster children while you were fostering? Um, them or yes I did I mm -hmm. did so while while we were still fostering them our home we decided we said at first we set a number of four children why we set a number of four children I don't know <laughs> but we set a number of four children so even in between that time we did get a call for other children and we did have some children come in stay for a week or some may have stayed for two weeks um, we did have another sibling set that came in and was eventually there throughout our adoption process of this sibling set um, who ended up being uh, reunited with P 
parents. So we did keep our house open because, you know, the whole goal was not just to, oh, I have my child and I'm done with the system. No, my goal was to be what the system needed for whatever child needed it at the time. Hmm, I love that. So uh, that child that was reunified, how did you kind of always know that that was going to be the path or? Well, it was a real, that, that was a very, very rocky, I mean, rocky uh, situation. In the beginning, it was talk of TPR, but parents uh, did what they had to do. They stepped up to the plate. They uh, followed the guidelines and they did what they had to do. And those children were reunited. And that was actually, so we had two, two siblings. And then there was a third sibling born into the mix. Hmm. And we end up getting the third sibling straight from the hospital. So, and during that time, we had, a, you know, having five in our home. And then those three were reunited. Yeah, you don't know how many stories I hear of people that were like, we were fine with our one or we were fine with our two. But that birth mom, every time she had a new baby, we were called and we were like, of course we can take the sibling. So yeah. they ended up with four or five. Yep. Well, I love that story of reunification just because that's the example of the system working. I think right. adopting is also a story of the system working, you know, as long Absolutely. as the child is in, in the best place that they can be. Right. Um, but I always think it's beautiful when uh, parents are given the opportunity and do step up to the plate and get their children back. Cause we all know children deep down want to be with their biological parents if they can. Yeah, you know, that's something that I always, I try to stress to people and I try to stress it to my children. You know, it does not matter what your parents did for, for you all to be in that place. At the end of the day, that is your parent that gave you life. You respect them. You love them. You honor them for what they could do at the time that they could do it. And then you have to be willing to forgive them for what they could not do when they could not do it. It is not your job to judge them, but it's your job to be one to pray for them, to just be willing, you know, because I I never have been the person to say, she did this, she did this, she don't deserve this. No, everybody is in a particular situation at a particular time for a particular reason. And it's not always something that we choose. It could be something that happened by default, or it could be something that we that we chose to do. But I believe that every human being should have an opportunity and a benefit of the doubt to come back from whatever bad situation they may have stepped into. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that. So, so let's keep going because we know that you have eight children. Uh -huh. So, so in eight adopted children. No, so seven of my children are adopted. Okay. One of my children is a biological. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we end up with the first two adopted, and then we fostered for a while in between. And then uh, one day we were, I was online and I was looking up at adopt. I think it was called Adopt USA, the website where they have like the children listed. And I was looking at some sibling groups and. Some kind of way I end up on the website. I think it's called like Tuesday's Kid or just something like that. But anyway, I end up on that website and I watched a video of a little girl. And uh, she at the time was 10 years old when she did her video. And it's like looking at her, something just came all over me. I cannot explain it. 
for the life of me, but I immediately the next day, because it was late when I did, I immediately the next day called the county that she was in and said, what's going on with this little girl? Um, what is, I knew her plan, I knew that her plan was for adoption because she was on the website. So I knew that TPR had already happened. So they allowed me to go down and meet her and get her a birthday gift. And we did those type of exchanges for about four months uh, while we were trying to get to know one another. Um, and because she had had some rough placements in the past and they didn't want to cause her too much stress and trauma by just dropping her into a new family. So uh, we traveled back and forth, did visits, um, and then they finally approved for her to come to us as a foster to adopt a placement. And we went through our six months time frame. It was actually a little bit longer and then we ended up adopting. So she was a single child, no siblings. And she is just, you know how they, people say, you out of your children, you always have a match. She's my match out of my children. She's like the firecracker that's in our home. So we end up adopting her. Uh, so that made three children. And how old was she when you adopted her? She was 10 when we first got her, 11 when we adopted. Okay, so you, so she was the oldest. She the was house. the oldest in the house. And that was a challenge within itself because, you know, there's a stigma that don't adopt older children, you know? Yeah. Don't bring older children into your house when you have smaller children. So I had to deal with the backlash of, people saying what they wanted to say. But one of the key things that I tell people who are aspiring to foster to adopt, you have to make the decision for yourself. You, your spouse, your partner, or whoever that you're in this, this uh, journey, on this journey with, you guys have to make the decisions for your household. And you cannot lean and depend on the decisions, the comments, of everyone else around you, because if you do, you're not gonna do it. Because we were told, the older children, they're nothing but trouble, don't do it. And we're, so I'm talking about a child who, at the time, had lived in almost 20 different uh, foster homes. So, of course, the track worker that they were talking about was there, but I was not gonna judge her based upon where she had been. I was judging her for who she was, and I just wanted to give her an opportunity. So. That was, a, that was one of those hurdles that we had to jump over. Okay, so now you've got three kids mm -hmm. that are adopted. That are adopted, and we're still fostering as the county needs see fit. Um, and then we were actually, oh, we wasn't taking a break from fostering, but at that time, we didn't have any other children in our home except our three adopted children. And then an agency called uh, about a little boy who at the time was four, they called and said that we have a little boy we're looking to place. Uh, we have, he has uh, siblings, but at the time they were gonna be placed somewhere else. So I said, okay. Um, and then we went back and forth and then they ended up calling back the next week and said, well, would you be interested in taking him as well as his two siblings? And of course, absolutely. My mind has always been, if you can do what you need to do to not break up a sibling set, then you do what you have to do. So when they called and they said that, there was not a doubt in my mind. Actually, I told her I wanted to tell you that the first time you called, but I didn't want to tell you how to do what you how to do what you're doing. So 
But anyway, did you, did you, was there ever a time when you were like, do we have enough room in the house? Like, <laughs> well, so let me tell you. So when we, when we first started, we had a three bedroom, two bedrooms up, one bedroom lower, three bedroom, two and a half bath home. We had them set up where there were three twin beds in one room and the other bed had a twin and two toddler beds. <laughs> so we was like, what are we going to do? And one of, one of our children, out of our three adopted children, it was on the spectrum. And he had already had some struggles with uh, environment. And we stayed in a suburb, but the constant hustle and bustle of other people around was a struggle for him. So we had already decided that we needed to make a move to go out into the country to find a more serene place where he can be more relaxed in. So we had already started to look for a house in the meantime, between time. <laughs> so while when they called about these other children, I said, well, we got to call the realtor. We got to go back to the drawing board because three bedrooms is not going to be enough. We need at least four bedrooms, you know? So we end up finding this old farmhouse. that's like 30 something years old, needs a buttload of work, you know? And, but we wanted it because it had everything that we wanted long-term. It had a lake on the property. It had a barn. There was an old chicken coop. And, you know, it, it, it just was a beautiful place. It was just, it's not a big place, just 14 acres and um, a four-bedroom farmhouse that we're working on. And when we got the call for DHS about the three children, at the time, we didn't have this house now. So let me tell you how the time frame went. DHS allowed us to go to the, the sibling set of threes county the week before Thanksgiving to do a visit with them in their county. So we drove there, got in with a hotel room. To, we took our three children with us down there to meet them. We did um, like a day visit where we went to like children's museum and we went out to eat to the restaurant and we just had time to spend with the children. And then we drove back home. Well, the next week, which was Thanksgiving break, the adoption specialists agreed to allow the children to come to our county to spend the Thanksgiving break with us. So then they drove them, and that was a eight and a half, nine hour drive. Wow. We stopped, so we ended up being almost 10 hours drive. So they had called you about this sibling set, even you being that many hours away? Yes, yes ma'am. Wow. wow, so yep. you can get some kids from anywhere in the state then. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. These children, I'm always at the top of the state and these children came all the way down. You may as well say the border. You may as well say the Gulf Coast, the Gulf Coast. They came from the Gulf Coast. Wow. So we, we literally drove all the way to the Gulf Coast the week before Thanksgiving. And then a social worker turned around the week of Thanksgiving and drove them back to us. And they stayed with us over Thanksgiving break. And it was one of the most, it's like every Thanksgiving from then on out, we tried to match to that Thanksgiving because it was just like, it was unbelievable how, you know, it just was a, it was a blessing. It was a blessing to our, our us as parents. It was a blessing to the other three children who were already adopted. And it was a blessing for the three children who were looking for forever home. You know, you think about children who have always, regardless of how bad the situation is, they were snatched away from their norm. Mm. They were placed in an unfamiliar home with unfamiliar people. And depending on if that placement worked, they may have bounced, 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 bounced. 
And you know, regardless of what a child has going on, behavior, psychological, emotional, a child needs something to call their norm. Mm -hmm. And if a child does not get something to call their norm, it's going to continue. They're going to continue to bounce. And they're going to continue to have behavior flares. They're going to continue to have emotional flares because they're looking for that balance. They're looking for a place to just land. It's like, Lord, take me off the rocket ship and let me land. Mm. So those children came up for Thanksgiving. Then they went back home, which was so emotional. Them having to leave us after being with us for that week. But they had to go and finish our school before Christmas break. And we closed on our house December the 7th, which is my birthday. The same day after we got the keys from Deloria, <laughs> we drove to a car lot, traded in our two smaller vehicles, and purchased the NV passenger van, 12 passenger van. And when I got the keys to my house and the keys to my car, I called DHS and said, I'm ready. I have You're the, in the game now. As, yep. soon as, as soon as a foster parent gets that 15-passenger van, hey, you're in <laughs> So I called DHS and said, hey, I'm ready. I got the keys to the house. I got the keys to the vehicle. Bring my children. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, they had to go through all the paperwork and everything, but then they okay. After they finished our school, they withdrew them from school there, and they moved the children here with us. Um, actually one of the children was, they were, they were placed in separate homes. So one of the girls was placed with two younger siblings who did not come to us because they were being adopted by the foster home that had them. So she brought her on her way to vacation up north. So she dropped her off on the, her, another foster mother dropped her off on the way. And then the social worker was a couple hours behind her bringing the other two siblings. And they got here and it was like they were supposed to be here you know mm -hmm. it's like where have you been all my life you're here you are home and that's something i have always told my children as long as the lord gives me strength as long as the lord continues to guide us you will forever have a home mm -hmm. even if you get grown and decide to like they say you smell your under you smell your drawers and you try to act up and you want to move out you still have a home as long as you want to be here um and so that made that took us from three to six okay and then they were here they had to be here for six months and then once the six months was up the adoption specialist came in to do our final paperwork so it could be sent to the ag's office for approval of the adoption well that day when the social worker came, I got sick. And it was like, we're just, I, was, I felt so often like something is wrong. Like what is wrong with me? And I don't even know why I took a pregnancy test. I don't even know where the pregnancy test came from. It probably was so old. It probably really didn't even work. But anyway, <laughs> so when I remember when they, when they came and we finished our adoption packet, I took the test and it was positive. And I immediately called my husband, who was at work, of course, again. And I told him, I said, oh, my gosh, I'm pregnant. And he was like, are you kidding me? Like, like you're joking. Don't joke. Don't joke. But anyway, I ended up showing him the test. And I ended up making an appointment with my doctor the next week. And it was confirmed we was pregnant. So after five years of infertility, 
with two failed procedures with loads of testing after six adoptions we end up pregnant and it's like well lord you got a funny way of doing things but okay <laughs> you know and so we end up pregnant and so at that time we because in our state there's a six child limit for foster into the home before the home is closed so our home ended up being closed from foster care we did all the paperwork with the social workers and we closed our home no more children coming from foster care we're done because we knew that these six children who was about to get a new baby into the home we need, knew that they needed time to settle so we of course during this whole time we continued the therapies um we continued to doing everything that we could do to be able to provide those children our children with stability and we knew that the constant visits with the social worker not for all children but for some children caused spikes and trauma mm -hmm. and for us in our household we had two children in particular which every time a social worker came to our home it was a instant back set to day one moving in yeah, and I totally get that because I was a post-adoption case manager, which means that I was supposed to be there just for kids that had been adopted. Right. Um, and I was amazed that uh, parents weren't just set up with a post-adoption case manager. And I usually got people on my caseload that said, like, I'm ready to give the kid back. I'm done. And then I would go in and I thought it would be so beneficial had I been with them from adoption. But I learned that the parents didn't, like, once they adopted, they were they didn't want a continuous you know social worker to keep coming into their house they wanted to be able to be a family on their own so i totally get both sides of that yeah because i have one son in particular who every time a strange car pulls up into the yard if he sees that car before i do mama 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 he's in, instantly running to me someone's in the yard is someone coming over here someone's supposed to be here so i knew that i had to at that moment cut things off put them back into therapy, do my due diligence to do everything that I could do to help him settle. Because a lot of people don't understand. They think just because you sign the paperwork and it's still in a courthouse and your child is adopted, you're done. And I, I'll, I'll say that, I said a million times over, there's a difference between, between being physically adopted on paper, paper and mentally adopted in a child's mind. Mm. Just because the child has was adopted, I don't know, July 4th of 2019, that's a random date I'm saying, it takes time for that child to move from physical adoption to mental adoption because they have to process the fact that I'm not gonna be taken anymore. That, okay, not only did my name change, but now I, got, now I can let my hair down. Now mm -hmm. I can settle now i can relax now i can know that there there is someone out there who loves me and who is not only saying that they love me but they are proving it through every single day of loving me through every single day of correcting me through every single day of just providing a sense of stability for me so even though i physically adopted these children at whatever date i knew that i had to give them time to process the adoption and for them to settle mentally. Mm -hmm. And that can take years or it can Absolutely. take forever. I mean, they may never feel
feel completely settled. Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so how many kids are we at? We're seven. So we had six adopted and then biological uh, number seven. And then, believe it or not, I got a call from the hospital who said I was down at some next of kin for a friend of mine who um, I had known since grade school who um, had battled uh, different things in her life and who at the time, at this time, was not able to provide a stable home for her child. And she put me down. So I immediately went to the hospital in the midst of COVID. So I'm there getting temperature checks and everything else, trying to get to the hospital. We get to the, I get to the hospital and mom was there and me and mom talked and I had to wait for uh, DHS or um, CPS uh, to show up at the hospital. So I was there waiting for CPS and we uh, end up just talking back and forth and just having a general conversation. And I was there, had to be for about four hours. And in the first almost three hours, I did not touch the baby. Cause I knew once I touched her, once I saw, it was it was gonna be over. I'm already I'm just looking over there and I'm just like, oh my lord, what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> so it it ended up the nurse ended up needing me to hold her for a second. And because of COVID, I could not exit the room. So you have me, mom, social workers, nurse, the baby in the room. We probably already breaking all kind of COVID guidelines right there. We're having a full party in the room. But anyway, <laughs> and me and the baby went into, stepped into the restroom, and she looked up at me. Eyes bright. She just looked. And it's like we, would, we did the stir challenge. She didn't blink. She didn't do anything. She just looked. And I knew. And I texted my husband. I said, are you ready to be a daddy again? <laughs> But, but long story short, um, mom, yeah, she surrendered her rights uh, yeah. to child as well as father. And throughout all these adoptions, I have had great relationships with lawyers, with judges, with guardian ad items. And, and so I knew certain people and I made phone calls. My biggest struggle was that I knew that I could not be a foster parent again because of my other six, seven children, the six of them who were already, you know, went through that. So my thing was, how do we do it? How, how, how do we adopt and provide a home for this child, but at the same time, not shake up this children's world upside down by re-entering the foster care world. And my lawyer in the garden alliance and the judges because there were two different counties involved and you know how that can be so we had to respect each county each judge each supervisor each garden alliance we had to go through the ropes and once we made came to agreements and because mom and dad did surrender rights they the lawyers handled everything did everything behind the scene and literally within seven days she was adopted wow and i think that it happened that quickly i i don't know about how what what everyone's belief system is but i believe that god has his time and he has a way of doing things and some some things just fall into place so it, it was it was so many key people who worked behind the scenes all at the same time and that's how it was able to happen 
as quickly as it happened. So I could, at the time, I couldn't leave the hospital until DHS got there. And then once they got there, I had to come back home to my own children that night. But I could not re-enter the hospital because of COVID. I could not go back until she was ready to be discharged. So mom ended up being discharged before the baby. So baby was literally there with the nurses at nurse stations in the nursery in the NICU going back and forth until the hospital would allow me to come back in uh, and get her. And that, that night, they the nurse called me at 8.15 because we were waiting on some testing to come back before she could be released and discharged. They called me and said, the doctor's here. Sign up on paperwork. You can come get the baby. And we didn't have a sitter that night. Me and my husband, we loaded up seven kids into that NV. We went to the hospital. My husband and the kids waited in the parking lot for over an hour, almost probably two hours. I had to go in and do like all kind of paperwork and I had to sit with the nurses and do feedings and you know, the whole all nine yards. And then I walked out of that hospital and I just had a feeling of relief. Mm. And I was no longer worried about what people were gonna say because to be 100% honest, we didn't really tell tell our family, we're adopted again, us, yeah, right? again. hey, we're doing it again. We, we didn't broadcast it to everyone at the time. Um, and, and mostly because it happened so fast, we didn't need to hear any naysayers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just needed to follow our mind. We needed to pray and do what God needed us to do. And that's what we did. I know that you did a YouTube video to update everyone. So you basically did a YouTube video because when you, you weren't able to tell everyone that you had another baby and were you getting questions about it? So what happened is, is that I did a Facebook post. I think a day or two, I think it may have been the next day or the day after, just uh, introducing, introducing her to our family. I got so many inbox and people's like, did you hide your pregnancy? Did you, no one told us that you was pregnant. What happened? Did you, and some people were saying, did you adopt? Like, what happened? Where did this baby come from? And like, I was going back and forth with so many people. I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop the inboxes. I'm going to just make this video. I'll tell people, and it'll just be out and open. Uh, but I, one of the things I did not want to do was offend her biological mother, mm. because the mother and and our we are friends, and we still right. talk you to this day. We still yeah. talk because a, a lot of people may not see it that way, but you have to have a very big heart to do what she did. Mm to say that I cannot provide a home for you. It takes a lot. A lot of people don't see that side of adoption, you know, but my goal was, is, and will always be to never offend her, but to always be a light of love, a light of respect for her. Mm -hmm. So um, I actually talked to her before I made the Facebook post and said, I'm going, I, I, I want to introduce the baby to the, my family, but I don't want to do it if it's going to uh, cause you any kind of, you know, emotional setback or I don't, I, that's what I don't want to do. And she was okay with it. And then I ended up making a post and I'm making a video. So how have your 
previously adopted children handled two new babies. So <laughs> before we found out, before we actually said, okay, we're going to do an adoption, that night when I got back from the first time get to the hospital and we set like all of the kids down at the table and said that there's a there's a child who needs a home needs a family and we're thinking about us being able to be there forever home for her and of course they was like yeah my, my oldest son who's 12 years old was like ma yeah you don't even have to say that just just do it just bring her home the kids were so receptive for them, it was never a doubt. And I think part of the reason why is that I have always, you know, told them, you guys don't feel like you're blessed just because someone took you in. Took you in. No, you're blessed by God. It, you, it, it, God just so happened to bless us to be the ones who took you in. Mm. Don't feel like that you owe me anything because you do not. My reward does not come from anything earthly mm -hmm. and so i've never wanted them to feel like oh i have to be happy because i was adopted you know no you be happy because you're loved because you because i love you and i will do everything that's in my power to be whatever love that you need at whatever moment that you need it um and and i think because of that that was one of the reasons why they were so receptive um, when we talked about the little baby needing a home, um, the 15 month old. <laughs> so she, she battles between possessive of the baby and not acknowledging the baby at all. So <laughs> it's either my baby, my baby, my baby, or what baby? <laughs> She's like, okay, like, is this a baby doll or is this the real thing? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so through all the years through all the kids through all the uh kids that came for a short period of time for a long period of time ones you adopted what have been some of your biggest obstacles either with the system or behaviorally or just what when you look back what have been like whoo those were tough days i wasn't sure we were going to make through one of the biggest obstacles for us has been a system out social workers first of all i take whatever hat i have off to them because to do what they do and go home and lay your head down at night on your pillow you have to be some pretty strong individuals um but i do know that the system is overcrowded <laughs> there's not enough there's too many cases and not enough social workers Mm -hmm. There's too many social workers and not enough resources. There's too many social workers and not enough support systems. Mm -hmm. There's one supervisor to too many social workers. So I know that even if a social worker forgets to do something or can't get back to doing doing something, I know that it does not come out of place of negligence, but it comes out of a place that we, number one, need more social workers. Number two, we need more resources and more support for those social workers. Um, we also need more foster parents who are more diligent, who are more respectful, who are who will take more time to deal with the social worker and not see the social worker as just a person to call when a kid is acting out, but to respect the social worker for what they are doing and to be 
a part of the pro of, of, of the solution and not a, a part of the problem. So I think for me, the biggest issue that we have faced through it all has been the system. But that's just like one of those never-ending stories. How do we fix it? What do we do? What do we not do? And I think that it comes down to every person doing the best at what they are supposed to be doing. That means that I have to be the best foster mother. You need to be the best social worker that you have in your ability to be. You need to be the best social worker's aide that you can be or the best supervisor that you can be. It's, it's all a big web that's entwined, but everybody has to play their parts. So one of the things that I've always tried to do with every placement is to go a little bit above and beyond with my respect for the social workers. So cause they, are, they have a lot on their load. You're talking about one social worker who may have a 20 case load, you know? There's 20 children, there's probably more than that. There's 20 mm -hmm. visits every week. There's 20 reports that has to be written. You know, that's, that's a lot, a lot. So I've always, like for instance, if my children goes to, the, to a doctor's visit, I would not leave them to the doctor had given me a printout of the doctor visit. It had been stamped and I could put it in the mailbox and send it to DHS. They did not have to ask me where certain things was. Part of me being a foster mother was I need to do a little bit more so that I can be part of the solution mm. and not creating more problems. It's beautiful. So, then that's just one of the things that I've always tried to do. I love that. And I love that advice. Um, Foster parents do a lot, you know, they do a lot already, but, but yeah, um, I can see how certain foster parents could make a social worker's job easier than other foster parents. So it's a beautiful perspective. Um, so what's been your biggest wins? So we are big, we are Christians and I know that that's not everyone's faith. And for the children coming to our home, we had some children who come in who had different exposure to different religions. So my goal has always been not to force Christianity, but to give them an open view of it and for them to make decisions. So I think for me, one of the greatest rewards for me from a Christian perspective is my is that child learning that I am not only loved by my mom, but I am loved by God. For me, there's the greatest reward. There is nothing greater. Now, this on a spiritual perspective. Now, if we come back down into the circular world, for me, one of the greatest rewards is a child who can come into a room. <laughs> just, I mean, come into a room. It may be messy and junky and come in a room full of a million toys. And instead of going to grab a toy, instead of going to grab a remote, Instead of going to grab a video game, that child comes and lay on my shoulder. Mm -hmm. Or that child comes and put his head on my knee and just hug me and say, oh, oh I love you, mom. I, or, or you want me to do anything for you, mom. It's that the greatest reward for me is a child knowing that they have a place in this family. And as long as my children know that, I don't care about what anybody else say. That you can say I have too many children. You can say that, you know, whatever you want to say. But if my children feel like that they are loved, that they have a home, that they are protected, that is my goal. Whether or not they be a Christian, that's up to them. Mm -hmm. But that is my number one goal. Ah, I love that. 
Well, I do ask everyone that comes on the podcast how we end the foster care crisis because there's so many kids going into care. And I think that, you know, you've already shared quite a few, you know, the suggestion of trying to be the best whatever you are, uh, the best yep. foster uh, carer that you can be, making sure that your part, that you're taking care of your part. I love that answer. And also, you know, when you had closed your home, officially mm -hmm. had closed your home, and a friend happened to put you down um, as next of kin, and, and you came in and welcomed that child in, having that acceptance and that openness and being receptive to accepting that child, I think now leaves that child up to have a better trajectory and have their children not enter care, whereas it could have possibly been a different outcome. So is there anything you want to add to ending the foster care crisis? I just want to, I want to offer you the opportunity to answer, but if you feel like you've answered it, I think you have too. Okay. Well, I guess the only other thing that I would say is that um, America has taught us to grow up and grow apart. You know, a mother has four children. They grow to college. I mean, they go to high school. They go to college. They get married. They separate four different homes, four different spouses, four different sets of children, uh, if they have children. Um, and many times there is no point where that family comes back together and rejoin i think that part of breaking down the barriers of children being taken into custody is us pulling back a nucleus of mm -hmm. of of, fam of extended families um i always joke with my siblings and say that if i ever become a millionaire i'm buying a, a house big enough to house all of us and whoever wants to live in it can live here and we will support each other. We will take care of each other's children. We'll take care of the senior citizens in our family. I think part of, of us breaking down those barriers is knowing that we have family and friends that we can depend on. You know, it's, it's easy to say or point your finger at someone who may be an abuser today um, or, or an addict today and say, okay, they're out there doing this. But where's that person to say, I know that you're struggling with what you're doing, but what can I do for you to help you? And I think that if families can come together in that aspect to be a better support system for one another, even if a parent falls and can't provide a home for a child, somewhere, if there is an extended family who can, that child can avoid being taken into the system because there's family there to not only take care of that child, but to support that parent who's in need. Mm. That's just my thought on it. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but we do have, I feel like we have grown farther and farther away from, you know, these bigger families where uh, we split rent or we split, you know, we help each other yeah. out and we all live close or we live in the same home and all of that. And I mean, speaking from experience, I have zero family around yep. and I wish I had somebody to take my child for four yeah. hours on a Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So because we do like, I feel like kids now are like just moving away and it's very common to have your siblings in a different state, your parents in a different state. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah that's we really do lose a, a huge chunk of our origin and our support system support system oh that's yep. that's awesome well you're a rock star <laughs> it is just so cool how god has orchestrated your life in a way that's like you you must feel like this is totally how it's meant to be huh you, well sometimes i think about lord what are you doing <laughs> like can you give me the blueprint like i just want to see what's happening next <laughs> yeah well so you're you're not open for more foster kids though the well the, now the agency know that if because i have a great relationship with social workers so they know that if there, there is a child that they absolutely 100% cannot place for whatever reason, they know that they can always call me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I know. We. I, I remember having a few of those. And I, as the post-adoption case manager, I would call the other social workers and I'd say, stop calling her. <laughs> she doesn't know how to say no. <laughs> yep. And the kids in her home need her to focus yep. on them. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, I know the the uh, the good homes are the ones that sometimes get abused. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So how are you doing on the farm? Like with how has the farm helped your kids? And so I think one of the, the greatest things that we chose to do was move on the farm. There's so much benefit in animal therapy and equine therapy and chick therapy lately we got baby chicks and the children that went they just oh it went crazy over them but there's so much benefit and i know studies have shown it i'm just like not like this we as who know numbers but studies have shown that children who bond with animals they have better chances breaking some of the barriers that they're going through so and i have seen it firsthand i'm talking about for instance my child who's on the spectrum who was having multiple episodes a day uh, in the environment that we lived in to come into where we are, where those episodes are not daily. They may be once a week or once every two weeks. Um, and I think part of that is, is the environment. You know, I, like I said before, children need a norm. And providing that norm, whatever it may be for your family that you feel like is beneficial for your family, Providing that norm and providing that consistency is what allows a child to be who they are, uh, to let down that guard. Um, for instance, I have a child who literally every time it rains, if it's not lightning, that child asks to go outside. I could be that mom that said, you're not going outside, you're not getting wet, you're not, you know, but there's some type of connection there. So who am I to like, stand in that gap, you know? but there's so much benefit um probably one of the biggest drawbacks of the farm is that the kids won't stop with the animals it's like every time we go somewhere they think we're supposed to bring home an animal and i'm just like first of all you're gonna have to get a job to provide to provide for that animal <laughs> we're gonna be breaking some child labor laws if you go get one more animal <laughs> you know i have a son who when he first came he was never raised in a home with a father so he completely shut my my husband out first day through the door um and he got around my husband my husband just started taking him out with the animals introduce him to horses and he's now he's the kid who my husband went uh started a new job and in between there he was out for like almost two weeks and the day his dad went back to work he cried mm. 
So there is so much benefit in just taking time. It's not always about having the best, being the best above everyone else around you, but it's about being the best who you can be for your children and for your household. Even if that means going outside with this child who wants to go stand in the rain. Mm -hmm. And even if that means going outside with this child who feel like he absolutely needed a cow and I bought him a cow because he said he needed a cow. And even though I have to remind him three times a day, you didn't feed your cow. You need to feed him before he be somebody's beef. You know, <laughs> just don't joke. but you know, even though you have to do that, but there's going to be some things that you're going to do that may not make sense to you at the moment when you're doing it. But when you see the benefit that that child has, that's your reward. Oh, I so, love that. The form is our reward. <laughs> I yeah. love that. I love that. I love the emphasis on time in and just if it's cooking a meal, if it's in, if it's engaging the kids and stuff you're already doing, like changing the oil on your car or laundry yeah. or whatever, just some time in. And then the emphasis on nature. I mean, even if you're in an urban place and it's not in the cards for you to go buy a farm, get out there. There's programs that are, are there and then you can just go to parks and discover things. I, I'd have to link to it, but my brother was just telling me about this app uh, that's on your phone. You take a picture or whatever of what you find outside, so different leaves or a plant or an animal, and it tells you what that animal is and lets you tell them, or oh, wow. tell them about that. And I guess it's free. So when mm -hmm. uh, your episode's live, I will have to link to to, for, to that for people because I just think the whole nature thing like we've all gotten so disconnected or we at least need yep. to like very intentionally force ourselves to go outside um, oh absolutely and so that, the fact that you you can you can just open your back door and let them out that's yeah a blessing I love that well I love that you bought the farm I love that it all came together I love that you got the 15 passenger van on the same day that you got the farm I didn't even know social workers, like, I never even think of, of a social worker having to bring three kids, eight-hour drive. Um, yep. So that's crazy. Uh, but you're rocking it out. I really, really, really appreciate you sharing your story. Well, when you lay down tonight, say a prayer for me. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. I'll check back with you. Make sure you're doing all right, too. Okay. <laughs> I do have uh, our YouTube page just called Farm Mama of Eight. I'll grab the link so that we can link to it in the show notes and people can yep. go subscribe to your channel. And if there's any, you know, feedback or people have questions or whatever, you can leave it on our YouTube channel. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your evening. Thank you for getting on the call with me. All right. You have a good evening. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What an amazing story and an amazing person. Tanja has an incredible soul and I think that her message of everyone doing their part is really warranted from her. I mean, she is someone who has brought in seven children permanently and a whole bunch more through foster and standing in the gap. And whatever you can do, whether it's mentoring a child, whether it's running a stable moments program, whether it's fostering, whether it's adopting, uh, while you're doing that job, be the best at that job that you can be and try to be part of the solution. I just, I, I love that. 
I also love that she was able to get that, you know, passenger van and be able to get that farm and really see how much animals and nature has really helped her kids. I just, her perspective and her heart is beautiful representation of what we need more of on this earth. And I'm so glad to have connected with her. All right, guys, if you want to share this episode, please do it on any of your social media. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and I will see you guys next week.